every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday. This is Money Talk on the 20th of February. Peter Lewis here with an update on today's business and finance stories. The podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's headlines, the latest data from mainland China shows tourists spent nearly 633 billion yuan, that's about 88 billion US dollars, on domestic holiday trips. That's a 47% year-over-year jump from uh, the previous year. According to the Ministry of Culture and Tourism, more than 474 million domestic trips were made during the eight-day Chinese New Year break. And that marked an increase of just over 34% year-on-year and up 19% from pre-pandemic times back in 2019. Chinese Premier Li Chang urged officials to work on boosting confidence in the first meeting of the country's cabinet after the Lunar New Year holidays. Premier Li told officials to focus on solving practical issues that concern the masses and enterprises, according to official news agency Xinhua. He said officials must maintain a stable policy environment and undertake more activities that are conducive to boosting confidence and expectations. China reported its smallest annual foreign direct investment since the 1990s as foreign companies poured money out of the world's second largest economy in favour of better opportunities elsewhere. China's direct investment liabilities, which combines foreign business earnings retained in China and investments into the country's capital markets, rose by just 33 billion US dollars in 2023. That's according to data released by the State Administration of Foreign Exchange. Chinese e-commerce company JD.com has said it's in the early stages of considering an offer for UK electronics retailer Curry's, setting up a possible bidding war for the chain. The potential bid emerged after Curry's said at the weekend it had rejected an unsolicited £700 million takeover approach from US investment firm Elliott, saying the offer significantly undervalued the company. And JD.com issued a statement saying that it was in the very preliminary stages of evaluating a possible transaction that may include a cash offer for the UK retailer. And a bid from JD.com would mark a strategic shift from the Chinese retailer, which was founded in 2004 and is now facing a slowdown in its domestic markets. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempest Investment, and our US Economics Correspondent, Writer and Broadcaster, Barry Wood. And you can find more information about the show at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'm also on Facebook, Peter Lewis Money Talk is the page, and on X, you'll find me at Money Talk R3. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. U.S. stock and bond markets were closed overnight for the President's Day holiday. U.S. index futures, though, were open for trading after the S&P 500's first weekly drop since early January last week ended a streak of 15 weekly gains out of 16 weeks. S&P 500 futures inched 0.1% higher Monday, while contracts on the Nasdaq 100 gained 0.2%, ahead of the most important earnings report of the quarter from AI bellwether NVIDIA, which is due on Wednesday. Wednesday. 
the US dollar index was unchanged. Bitcoin jumped back over $52,000, while Ether surged to a fresh two-year high above $2,900. And swaps markets, they now see less than 90 basis points of rate cuts in 2024. That's down from around 150 basis points in early February. Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic said that for now, he favours two cuts this year, starting this summer, while former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers wondered if the Fed's next move won't be another hike. Chinese stocks rose on their first day of trading in the year of the dragon, but it was a lacklustre performance compared to expectations before the opening of a catch-up rally in Shanghai and Shenzhen, mainland China's benchmark CSI 300 index, which had been down more than 9% year-to-date in early February, posted a sharp rebound in the days just before the Chinese New Year holiday, pairing losses for the year to just 2% by the close on February the 8th. However, that still left the CSI 300 index down more than 40% from a peak it reached in early 2021. On Monday, the CSI 300 added 1.2% on the first day of trading after the extended break for the Lunar New Year holiday. Tourism stocks led the gains, rising 1.2%. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index fell 184 points, that's 1.1%, to 16,156, snapping three sessions of gains that added 3.8% last week. Futures markets pointing to a small gain for the Hang Seng at the open this morning of about 35 points. The index projected to start the day at 16,190. You can get more details on the latest market movements in the My Daily Newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our Tuesday morning guests. First off in the year of the dragon, Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning, Mark. Well, happy new year, Peter, Barry and John. And happy, happy New Year to you too. And also with us is John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempus yep. Investments. Hi, John. Hello, good morning. And over in Washington, D.C., as always, I think it might be a dark, I don't know if it's chilly, uh, Washington, D.C., but it's Barry Wood, our U.S. economics correspondent. Morning, Barry. Good morning, and Barry's always in the dark, so it's appropriate. (laughs) That's not true, not true. Let's talk about China's uh, holiday travel, early travel and spending data from the Lunar New Year holiday. did show some signs of a pickup in consumer spending. The Lunar New Year, with official holidays ending on Sunday, was the first one in five years to be unaffected by the coronavirus pandemic or related restrictions, so it made it an important barometer of consumer sentiments. Data showed tourists spent nearly... Nearly 633 billion yuan on domestic holiday trips. That's about 88 billion US dollars. Uh, that's a 47.3% year-over-year jump. According to the Ministry of Culture and Tourism, there were more than 474 million domestic trips made during the eight-day break. That marked an increase of just over 34% uh, year-on-year and 19% up from 2019, just before the pandemic uh, started. Chinese Premier Li Chang urged officials to work on boosting confidence in the first meeting of the country's cabinet after the Lunar New Year holidays. So, um, Mark, any signs here that the Chinese consumer at last is beginning to stir? Well, uh, it's promising in some ways. I call it maybe it's revenge travel with Chinese characteristics, I guess, picking up from a time from, from before. I guess it does mean that there wasn't so much outside of China. So this is the place where where uh, where Chinese can take advantage of it. 
this is what we've got to see. And I'm sure that's the two sessions uh, is coming up in China where they're going to probably set an economic number, a target and various other various other parameters. And I'm sure consumer confidence will be uh, will be one of the key themes that's being raised, because I don't think there's still any strong evidence that it's there, although this is this is at least one promising sign. Because mm. that's very important to what happens going forward, and whether whatever the target is, is it if it's about five percent again or something like that, that would be important in hitting the target. In addition to, of course, dealing with the property crisis and a few other problems that are mm. there. I was told on the show yesterday by someone up in Shanghai that uh, Chinese people were just not traveling abroad because they feel actually yes. va- rather vulnerable. They feel that foreigners don't particularly like them, so they focused on um, traveling domestically. And of course, they've, there's been this huge investment in high-speed railways, so there was a massive gain in railway trips, over 60% gain in rail trips from, uh, from a year earlier. Although they are going, I guess, to Macau. Yes. Because Macau had one point, about 1.35 million visitors over the holidays. And I think, I guess, mo- almost all of those were mainlanders. Hong Kong had about 1.2, which is still less, less than Macau, but again, 95%, I think, uh, from the mainland. So we're getting a few, but yeah, that's that's it. I think most of it was internal at mm. this point. And, uh, and there was quite a lot of it. The problem is again, and was mentioned, I think, by some Hong Kong commentators, those in the in the in the catering in the uh, food and beverage business, in particular, saying the spend just isn't as high when they come. Right, and it's considerably lower, and so that that's hit them to some degree or another. John, what what are your thoughts on this? We're starting any sign yeah. that this could carry on because that's going to be the important thing, isn't it? We're, we're obviously expected uh, trips to jump over the holidays, but what happens next? Yes. Um, yeah, there's stories in uh, stories in Hong Kong are that um, the average spend for mainland tourists, um, we see quite a few on the streets, is 300 Hong Kong dollars per day. Um, <laughs> That's very low, so it's isn't not it? Going to, got, not going to, to move the dial. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, people obviously want to get out and about and uh and 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 do things but they but uh in a in a very uh you know economical way so so i don't think you can uh i don't think we can really consider this um the start of a, a new consumer boom uh by any means um i think it's just uh you know at least at least it shows that hopefully things are being stabilized and bottom out but in terms of a, a strong recovery i i i just don't see it i mean it's a p- particularly low bar, isn't it, to try and beat 2023 because things were so bad uh, a year yeah. ago. So maybe beating last year is not, uh, uh, you know, is not, not so surprising. Yeah, only, you- uh, I think the 2019 comparisons are the, are the relevant ones. Mm. Do, do you think Hong Kong's missing out? So, you know, people tell me who come here from the from the mainland that um, you know they find Hong Kong very expensive, hotels overpriced um, and overrated as well. When you can get maybe a, a hotel room for a quarter of the price in Shenzhen that you pay in Hong Kong, is is Hong Kong pricing itself out of um, you know these uh, receiving these tourists? Mm. Well, yes. I mean, Hong Kong has never been a well for many years has not been a budget destination you know so so coming to hong kong and buying flats and and all the rest of it that and 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 binging on luxury goods um you know that in the boom times i mean those days are clearly clearly over yeah mm. but that is a much a reflection on, on what's happening in the mainland as anything else of course we're seeing the reverse flow um 
lots and lots of Hong Kongers going over the border um, almost every weekend now to enjoy the, you know, the very, um, you know, inexpensive. Um, the cheap hotels, basically, uh, and, and the cheap bars um, and restaurants. Hotels and restaurants and so on in, in uh, Shenzhen and, and elsewhere. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the adjustment, Hong Kong's adjustment, you know, is is underway. We've seen, uh, we're starting to see some, uh, you know, uh, take up in in the, um, you know, grade A office uh, market, but but obviously at much uh, much lower rents than they, they were a few years ago. Mm. Um, so that kind of um, you know market clearing um, exercise is, is underway. I think. Mm. Barry, interesting, isn't it, that the Chinese people saying they don't really want to go abroad um, at the moment. Is that something that's noticeable in the US, that there's been a, a big drop-off in, in Chinese visitors? I think it probably is in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, Honolulu. But here in the East, no, we don't notice that. In one sense, Peter, it's not surprising because I hear too many people saying that uh, US-China relations are as bad as they've been since 1979. Mm -hmm. Now, that goes back a ways, doesn't it? I don't know if that's true, but um, I'm sorry if uh, Chinese people feel unwelcome in the United States and Canada, but uh, I'm in no position to judge whether that's true or not. Mm. And it, but it sort of works the other way as well. What un, seems to be unwelcome in China is 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 foreign money or, or foreigners don't want to invest in China um, at the moment. We're seeing that in terms of uh, the, the amount of... Um, the amount of investment that's going in, the foreign direct investment is just tumbling, just uh, just $33 billion last year, which is, is really tiny. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think that's very worrisome to the business community in both countries. Uh, again, I don't think the average consumer is aware of it. I mean, they're thinking mostly of the prices they pay at the big box retailers and uh, they're waiting. No, that's Barry Wood speaking. I'm waiting to see if those prices begin to come down. Mm. And I think that they will because there is overcapacity and the Americans can say all they want at the official level, but I think the consumers would welcome any price reductions of Chinese goods. Mm. It sounds like, though, the one thing that's not going to change in the Year of the Dragon um, is U.S.-China trade relations, where there's a report in the FT um, yesterday saying that the U.S. is going to act if China dumps goods on global markets and it's concerned about the overcapacity um, in, in various sectors. Um, what are your thoughts on that, um, Barry? Is this going to be another uh, an ongoing theme in this new year? I read that with interest, and I think uh, it's uh, almost a nonsensical statement because the Chinese are not going to be sending artificial intelligence tools or other high-tech tools into the United States. Now, they are going to be trying to sell solar panels. They've already pretty much decimated the American solar panel industry. And I think we have to watch for electric vehicles because, you know, under the three-nation North American Free Trade Agreement, if you have a plant in Mexico, those goods come into the United States duty-free. And I think BYD is uh, racing with Tesla to be the first to build 
a plant in Mexico. And of course, Tesla has been cutting EV prices throughout the course of 2023. But again, it takes a while to build a plant, even if it's a Chinese company. So no, I don't, I don't see that. Uh, sure, the Americans would retaliate if those high tech goods come in uh, to the American market and upset. But of course, Tesla is not the favorite company of the Biden administration anyway. But uh, I think that's several months off. Mm-hmm. Mark and uh, yeah, uh, John. Well, well, I was going to, I was going to say, Chinese tourists might feel unwelcome in in the U.S. I think Chinese goods feel also unwelcome <laughs> in the U.S., especially certain ones like EVs and lithium batteries and uh, and and solar panels. You know, here we go again. Uh, this this looks like it might be the start of of, of uh, again a, a some trade trade conflict going on with with anti-dumping and the whole business. I mean, some of these are, are real issues, but at the same time, it's a pol- very political year, as Barry knows more than I do. And uh, I think we're going to hear a lot more about that. And Barry rightly said that the, the investment in Mexico is expanding very quickly, including by U.S. companies who moved or who, who have expanded their production from China to other markets, including Mexico, increasingly. And their Chinese suppliers, in many cases, are following them. So that's sort of interesting, too, because it's maybe not direct exports from, from the Chinese, but Chinese supporting uh, American and other companies that have set up in Mexico to, to come into the United States. And and Mexico, as one U.S. senator said from a, from a neighboring state, uh, is is he he triumphed the uh, the the Mexico is now the biggest exporter. Yeah, mm-hmm. so a lot of exports are coming in from from Mexico. So that the pointing issue, and, and Barry I think rightly points out some of the, some of the of some of the problems. I don't think that's my guess. That's not going to go away very quickly. John, this is um, yeah. going to be an ongoing theme, isn't it? Small. Well, US- I think I think um, two things. It's not um it's not a U.S. China bilateral issue anymore it's it's at least a triangular relationship and and what we're seeing in happening in europe um starting to happen in europe and that concern finally the eu seems to have woken up to the fact that um, many of its core manufacturing industries are, are you know losing market share losing out to to cheaper chinese um exports and so on um very rapidly, and we, we're seeing in, in Germany, in particular, the economic downturn is um, is getting quite concerning. Um, bearing in mind that the U.S. has already, U.S. has really taken action uh, on itself to 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 protect itself, really, with the the, the um, Chips and Inflation Reduction Act um, uh, and other things, and so. Um, you know, there's trillions of dollars investment going into U.S., and that's the counterpart for the withdrawal or lack of investment going in, into China. So, um, and you know, obviously we've seen a you know a booming stock market, a pretty strong economy in the U.S. So, um, what's not to like is the fact that Mexico is, you know, increasingly beca- becoming almost uh, you know integrated with with the U.S. economy. You're is, quite right, is John. Prob- probably a good thing. Um, yeah. Strategically, so you're absolutely right to observe that the Europeans and the Americans are largely in sync on this economic policy vis a vis China. And I think that um, 
it's hard to see that in that context, anything can get better in the course of 2024. We have seen the two leaders when they met in San Francisco in November say they want to stabilize relations. They really didn't emphasize anything about improving relations. Yes, you've had these trade and economic groups into China from the United States. That's a positive. But there's no real hope. I agree with Mark. There's no real hope of a fundamental improvement. Yeah, the, the good news, and Barry just cited it, I mean, sort of slightly good news, encouraging, is that, as Barry just said, part of what came out of the Biden-She talks were these working groups. And actually, some of this some of this information and some of the, some of the issues that you just mentioned, Peter, came out of the working groups, mostly around uh, Janet Yellen, you know, from her visit to Beijing. So at least they're talking. And overcapacity is one of those issues. It's an issue for China, obviously, as well as for the rest of the world. And, I, and I'm sure that will come up in the in the two sessions as well. How much progress will be made in that area is sort of unclear. But at the same time, there's recognition that that that's an issue that's going to broil, broil uh, uh, relations, not only with China and other countries, but within China to some extent as well. What are these working groups supposed to do? Obviously, they, they keep the, the, the lines of communication open and they put each other's grievances on the table. Do these, these working groups try and resolve any of those agreements? I do disagreements, I should happened. say. Go, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was going to let you talk because you're the one who knows more about this. No, no, I don't actually. And I, I, but I see no evidence that there has been any improvement. I think that they try to keep the lid on things That's a... and they certainly exchange views. All of that is positive. But resolution, no evidence as yet. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's much yeah. backing for it. I, 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 I tend to agree with Barry. I think that's the approach. Did was was in a discussion, a general discussion with one U.S. senator who mentioned what John mentioned about the the uh, increasing trade with Mexico and and looked at it as a good thing, generally speaking. But you know, I'm afraid uh, there aren't many other voices, maybe in the Congress, that would uh, would agree with them. You know, Mark, in that context, I find it interesting that preliminary indications are that the United States trade deficit with China improved yeah. in 2023. And uh, well, of course, that's because of the reasons we've been talking about. Uh, but somebody should latch onto that and say, see, that's progress. And, and the Chinese companies themselves, I mean, they're not too happy with this either, are they? We had yesterday Xpeng, the, uh, the electric vehicle manufacturer, say basically that it's trying to survive what it called a bloody sea of competition. It said it's going to increase investment, hire thousands of new staff to try and cope in, in what is this cut pri uh, cutthroat yeah. environment where they're all cutting prices um, uh, ag yeah. against each other. Um, this is not great for China either, is it, John? Um no, indeed not. I mean, the 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 the, no, the crux of the problem is really the, um, you know, the, the to my mind the inherent contradictions in the Chinese, you know, business model, if you like, their economic model. I mean, as as you said, I mean that's pure. That's just cannibalism, isn't it? I mean, to survive competition, you you massively increase investment and and create further uh, excess output. Um, so, you know, until we see, we're going to have to see um, sort of culling inside China, where you've got to have rationalisation, you know, and the and the, and the um, 
you know the law the 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 losers if you like the loss making companies you know just have to be have to go out of business um what that means for the for the overall e- economy eventually um um i couldn't say but um you know it's a little bit like um you know we're seeing the 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 japan scenario is is beginning to play out mm. Japan uh, 1990s sorry is beginning to play out um um just um you know once more the, the um the judgment against Evergrande or or in favor of liquidating Evergrande um you know that's um from Hong Kong um is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out because as we know all all its ass- all, all the assets are in in the mainland um you know, how the, are the Hong Kong-based liquidators going to be able to uh, to in, to implement the decision to liquidate? Mm. John, what's your guess? Has, what's going to happen? How's that? Um, um, I don't know. I mean, the, the sort of most people think they're going to be obstructed, um, but you've got you know you've got a vast array of um, local governments and so on uh, all over China to to, to deal with. So I think they're going to start with, um, you know, a relatively uh, um, user-friendly j- jurisdiction like Shanghai or somewhere, and see see what they can uh, do with that. But it's obviously a multi-year, uh, multi-year project. I just want to make one comment on Xping. I I visited Xping uh, about five years ago with a with a delegation. Very impressive electronic electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, and so on. It was a little bit above a lot of the other competitors. But even then, the uh, executives there complained about about cannibalizing and, and being <laughs> undercut in, in pricing and so on, even though they have, they, have, they have a benefit, right, because they're funded in part by Volkswagen, as I recall. Mm-hmm. So, they, they, you know, they've got, got some funding background and so on. So, you know, this could be a test, too, because if they can't, and there may be other reasons that they have problems, but if they can't make it because they're undercut domestic by oversupply and you know undercutting prices and all the rest of it that's not a good sign for for other companies yeah. like them yeah i think you know that dimension i think it's clear it's a china problem it's an internal problem for china so yeah. as much as um um you know the the us and janet yellen can sort of point out to that that uh, the the inevitable consequence of that that is going to lead to um to, to dumping um you know it does it doesn't they have to they have to work out for themselves in this two sessions and one how how, how the how the the china business model is going to involve evolve over the next few years but that would presumably involve it in in these sectors um, where there is overcapacity, allowing firms to go to the wall, wouldn't it? But it yep, seems the precisely. Chinese government doesn't want them to if they're in strategic areas like solar panels or batteries or electric mm. vehicles. It doesn't seem to want to allow that natural process to to happen. Yeah, I mean, um, again, they're sort of you know cutting off the the itself self-inflicted harm really i mean mm-hmm. they, they yeah they they have they have massive uh, competitive advantage in the in these areas um but to to re- and they should be reinforcing that and making making sure they make money out of it and gen- generate you know rather than just ever increasing uh ever increasing production 
and, and most of them don't make money. Some, somewhere, I mean, that I, I've said it before on 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 this show that you know it's not it's not a supply problem. China has a it's a demand problem. It's not mm. only within China, of course. It's also also globally as people are starting to resist. You know, other countries are starting to resist. Um, so you know that has to be. Um, that has, you know, they have to rebalance some way. So this emphasis constantly on expanding production, um, you know, and broadening topic, you know, infrastructure investment, 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 with no, um, but no, no demand. Mm. Barry, another area where there seems to be a rift opening further between um, uh, China and the US is on national security. The Federal Bureau of Investigation's head, Christopher Wray, says um, Beijing's efforts to covertly plant offensive malware inside US critical infrastructure networks is now at a scale greater than we've seen ever before and is deemed that a defining national security threat. How big an issue is this likely to become? Well, I think this is a big one. And if Christopher Wray has got more to say, and I suspect he would because he was speaking in Munich, and uh, I'm sure the Congress will like to hear from him either in closed or open session, uh, this is a serious problem. And this is not unrelated to the spy balloon issue of some months ago, a year ago. It is um, very disturbing to think that um, so many of the critical infrastructure areas, whether it's power, whether it's water, uh, if there is, in fact, malware uh, in it, that becomes very serious only at the point at which something fails. Then you really begin to hear about it. I think the real problem is not knowing this as a specialist at all, but how do the Americans know whether it's Chinese uh, or Russian, or Iranian, or whatever. I mean, are they that clever at NSA that they can trace all this and say, ah, that malware has come from China. But yeah, I think what Christopher Ray was saying in Munich is very significant and very worrisome. Presumably, then, there's going to be calls from members of Congress to take further steps to ban Chinese, Iranian, uh, Russian firms from having any sort of access um, to, to critical infrastructure, to be able to invest in it, provide components um, to it at all. Well, that's true. I think the company to watch is TikTok and ByteDance, the, the parent, because um, uh, this is something that the Americans could do, I think, relatively easily. And there is a controversy here. The problem is you've got lots of members of Congress and important people in this country who use TikTok and they mm-hmm. like it. And certainly all the young people would be terribly alienated by any move against TikTok. But that's the data issue. Because that data, according to what we've already known over the last couple of years, that data goes right back to China. And, of course, all listeners, I think, are aware that the Chinese data protection law prevents data from going out of China. So this is a complicated area. And I don't know how the Americans are going to move against uh, Chinese companies in this Internet digital sphere. That's a big issue for international companies data security and and the issue that uh, that Barry just mentioned and it's caused several companies to to move their move their their data facilities out of China and even to set up new operations uh, that they maybe had in China before not all of them 
but but some of them. Also, that issue I think may come up. I think it's still scheduled for the next couple of days. There's going to be a visit by the uh, House Committee on China to uh, tai Taiwan. Taiwan. Yeah, yes. and I think in a couple of days, led by my outgoing Congressman uh, Mike Gallagher of of Wisconsin, I and I expect that will be one of the issues among a few others, of course. John, you know, it's very interesting, Mark, that you mention uh, Mike Gallagher. He's a young man from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, everybody knows at least the football team uh, from that um, rather small town in Wisconsin. But this was a bright young man who had this plum job of the Select Committee on China-U.S. Economic Relations. And he's pulling out come November, on the basis of nothing to do with China, but because he failed to go along with the Republican effort in the House of Representatives to go after the Homeland Security chief, Mr. Mayorkas. And because he didn't follow the instructions, he threw up his hands and said, I don't want to be part of this crowd. So is he going to reconsider? I doubt it. But uh, he'll probably follow some of the other folks who have left uh, and and go into private well, equity. The former speaker, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> also from Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah this and this is unfortunate. Although, and and I think I've mentioned this before. We we talked with the uh, staff members of that committee a, a couple of weeks ago online, and uh, it's a pretty strong group. It'd be interesting to see uh, see you know. Whoever takes over, they they have real issues, including some of the ones we just we just we raised today. Mm -hmm. John, I wanted yeah. to get your thoughts on um, the markets now that they've reopened for the first time yeah. um, in in the year of the dragon. People were expecting a really quite a big catch up rally in Shanghai and Shenzhen. I guess um, yeah. it did go up, but only after the national team stepped yeah. in in the last hour of trading or so um, up in the mainland. Yeah. Was it a disappointment? Yeah. Um. Well, I I I, th I I certainly think the expectations were were uh, overblown. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, markets just this is another thing that has to has to be absorbed by the Chinese leadership. There, that markets don't, don't act, you know, they don't follow orders, you know, <laughs> from the top. Um, <laughs> you know, just all these we've seen these various technical tweaks try and discourage people from short selling and all the rest of it. I doubt there's much short selling going on anymore because the markets really have, I suspect, hit rock bottom. But, um, you know, I think we're just going to flop around for a while uh, down at these levels. I don't, I don't think there's any appetite for, um, you know, for a, a strong wave of investments. You know, I, I do know one or two people who are, who are starting to, to – bottom fish nibble legs there's no doubt about it there are there's a huge value there um in, in what well, pockets of value i should say um in 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 the private sector in particular in in china but um you know investors are going to have to be they're going to have to be pretty patient i think to see to see see the reward so um no i, th I think um i don't think there's any prospect of a of a, of a really strong rally the moment, I think the best we can expect is, is a kind of long, slow bottoming out process. Is there anything that, as an investor, you would like to see from the two sessions in a in a couple of weeks' time that would make you change your mind on the Chinese markets and become more positive? 
Um, yeah, if, 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 I mean, a much more, you know, realistic uh, approach to, to the kind of um, the resolution of the structural problems um, in the China economy. Um, you know, just cutting interest rates or pumping up money supply or something like that. I mean, I think they, they already realize that's not, that's going to be counterproductive. Um, besides which, you know, the currency, the currency, uh, issue won't, won't, won't allow that. So, so, um, yes, I mean, you know, we come, come back to the property issue also. I think, I think it's very important we see a, a, a realistic, plan to um you know to completely restructure um that industry and work out all these uh, you know all the bad debts and and uh, unfinished uh, apartment blocks and so on which means you know headline growth will be will be uh, will, will not not take place mm. Uh, are we maybe but, anticipating too much from the two sessions? Because it, it's, it's not really the forum anymore that decides things, is it, these days? Because the power has been so concentrated now in the top leadership, just yeah. a few group of people, that yeah. these people at the two sessions, the ministers there, they're, they're just going to follow orders, aren't they? Yeah, well, we've seen um, – yeah, that's another issue that, that – that, seen recent pronouncements saying well the emphasis you know the the priorities are politics and uh national security common uh, prosperity go, what <laughs> common prosperity common misery i think is, <laughs> what, <laughs> is what we're talking about so you know so yeah that would be a, a signal of a change you know a, a real change of of heart uh from the top leadership and i i certainly don't see that mm -hmm. um in any way uh, you know as being at all likely so uh, mark yeah, what are your thoughts are we are we maybe hoping for too much from the two sessions um yeah well i don't have any particular expectations i must admit um yeah but it will, will be interesting to see if if we we get any any sort of it's a change of um a change of tone i think uh, as, as much as anything else is is, is what what's needed but i mean so far um or what i would like to see um but i but there's no sign of, of that mm. mark um, and any thoughts on the two sessions are, are we maybe yeah, sort well, of too op maybe hoping for too much from it well i think we're hoping for something and maybe it's not i mean some people maybe the expectations are too high but at least some signals in some areas that they're they're actually thinking more seriously about taking action some of the areas that that John John has has just outlined. I hope we see a little of that, and also an indication of where where their emphasis is emphasis is going to be in 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 dealing with those problems, and you know, and and also looking at at trying to stop some of those issues from falling over a cliff. You know, mm -hmm. and that and that's a worry. I think I mentioned before we did for our our group. We always do critical issues for the year going forward, and one of them was. The Chinese economy, especially the financial system, running into serious problems. Not that that's likely to happen. We hope, but at the same time, it's 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 a worry, and that of course has to do with with real estate and with debt and with all the rest of it, and with what's going on in the rest of the world. So you might have noticed that one of the other things coming out of those of those uh, talks between uh, you know, the working groups between China and the U.S. was how do you deal 
how do you try to prevent financial crisis, especially a banking crisis? I don't know if they made any progress in that area, but I guess it's a little encouraging that they're looking at it. Barry, finally, I wanted to get your thoughts on the on the US data. Um, markets sort of got rather stopped in their tracks last week by the inflation data, both the consumer price index and the uh, the PPI um, rising a bit more than economists had had, um, had thought. Um, what should we read into this? The, the markets sort of um, you know ended up down last week for the first time in, uh, in in five weeks. But were they maybe just too optimistic in the first place? Is this just a, a normal process? Here? Here, where we're seeing inflation maybe a bit more sticky than perhaps people thought, but nevertheless, it is still coming down, isn't it? Yes, you're right. And I think uh, they were ahead of themselves, the market participants. Uh, they wanted rate cuts as early as March. I don't think they're going to get it. I think the real message of the CPI and PPI data is higher for longer. And that's, that's what's going to happen. Uh, the Federal Reserve will continue to be data dependent but there won't be a rate cut in March, in my view, uh, and there won't be anything really uh, until May. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, the economy remains pretty robust. And you do hear voices saying, hold it, this is all artificial and the money from COVID is gone and interest rates are punishing car buyers, particularly used car buyers, and uh, the consumers out of cash. But the data don't support that contention. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that uh, that was a wake-up call. And when you see that the 10-year is at 4.28%, uh, that will tell you that uh, rates are not coming down quickly or substantially. Well, Larry, Larry, Larry Summers, who's a well-known contrarian, uh, said they may even go up. I don't yeah, think that's amazing. Not right. I don't think he's uh, right, but anyway, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I, I would not uh, agree with Larry about the uh, direction of interest rates. But um, yeah, I think uh, the message is uh, higher for longer. I mean, if, you, if you're the Fed and you're data dependent, there's really no reason is there right now to be cutting rates um, if, if you look at the, the data that's been coming out. That's yes, correct. Yes, I mean... Uh, yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah, no, I'm just saying that the, the um, I, I've been saying this for quite a few occasions that the, uh, the 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 market the market participants who automatically assume that we're just going to have another cycle of interest rate where interest rate, you know multiple interest rate cuts um, is is just just totally um, totally unrealistic and um, don't appreciate the fact that you know the th things have changed. They're, structure of the economy has changed i mean what we have now apparently is a pretty close to the equilibrium interest rate you know it may be maybe a bit hard on car but people buying cars and credit but it's rewarding savers for the first um, time in 20 years really for the first time in uh yeah at least 20 years um so you know again what's not what's not not to like i think i think just steady as steady as she goes as it were is 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 the right thing to do and I, I don't know why there's all this um you know agitation for for uh, dramatic interest rate cuts um and um you know the fed's got um, they've got a lot of bonds to sell well the treasury has um you know so and um you know people well, 
you know, I, 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 I personally think that ten-year rate should 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 be uh, up to five or, or five, five or, or a little bit higher, um, in line with um, short-term rates. Uh, there's no there's no economic imperative to have this in inverse yield curve, which is supposed to uh, herald a recession coming up. Um, As it did so, all last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's an odd process we've been through this time, isn't it? Because the textbooks yeah. tell you the way central banks deal with inflation is they raise rates. That slows down the economy. Um, maybe it even puts it into recession sometimes, but ultimately brings down prices. But interest rate rises this time. They, they really haven't slowed down the US economy, have they? They have yeah. not. I would only say in response to your comment, Peter, uh, you're right, except for the phrase, bring down prices. I like this William McChesney Martin quote, the purchasing power lost to inflation is never recovered. Mm. And yes, prices level off, but they seldom come down. Now, some are volatile. Uh, certainly gasoline prices have come down. Natural gas, by the way, is at a 30-year low. Um, some food prices have come down, but uh, most prices are not going to come down. But as you suggest, they're not going up at a very fast pace. In fact, the pace has, has been greatly decelerating. Well, I'm wondering, maybe then, is the US an outlier? Because if we look elsewhere, um, Japan's in a recession, a technical recession. The UK um, is in a technical recession. Germany's in a recession. We had the Singapore GDP data last week. They, that was showing quite a big slowdown. Um, is it working everywhere else? And maybe the US is just an outlier at the moment. Maybe it is. I'll defer to John about markets, but it hard, it's hard for me uh, in Washington to hear that the Japanese economy is in recession when its stock market is at a 35-year high. Doesn't that suggest that things aren't that bad in Japan? Mm. Well, I suppose t traditionally, though, recessions don't necessarily mean bear markets, do they? That's uh, you know we've quite often seen that in the in the past that uh, you know you can have quite good equity markets during recessions. Yes, I mean the the um, Japan the the stock market. Of course, you you're talking about you know a lot of global players. I mean, it's the only market that has can come anywhere close to the U.S. these days in terms of the uh, you know the the breadth and depth of, of these very strong companies in, in a whole series of, and crucially, of course, tech, tech, technology. Um, I think that's what saved the US, really, what saved the US, that that's what's driving the US economy is its lead in, despite all the Chinese competition and so on, but in, in these critical technology areas, it's, uh, it's lead uh, and global domination, almost. Mm. And I, I presume that the, the yeah. Japanese market is being driven by the weak yen. Uh, in part, in Partly, part, yes. But uh, but but um, um, you know, it all it, it also you know they have this 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 very very strong manufacturing sector, um, which is um, I mean quite interesting to, to just uh, switching back to autos. Um, you know the. Great success! You know, Toyota has been able to to navigate through this, um, you know, this sort of U.S.-China thing, and 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 uh, very very cleverly, um, and um, you know, is is producing very good results. Absolutely. Um, 
you know they, they've not been they've been rather clever in in sort of balancing the you know the move towards evs uh against well, the the need to you know continue to i mean i think hybrids are there their particular yeah, well, strength you know exactly that exactly and you know japan japan's been in recession for how many years 30 or whatever <laughs> yeah. whatever it is and if you and, and, yeah. but if you go to japan you look you don't see people no, on the streets see, that's uh, right uh, yeah you know so it's yeah. it's not really there's some there are some bright spots there Although, although recently Japan's, you know, this is the first recession in five years in in Japan. So you know, yeah. although they've got a, a history of recessions, more in more yeah. recent times, they've uh, they found a way out of them. Yeah. Well, maybe they will again. Well, we'll what see. about the UK, Peter? You're in the UK. Is that a recession economy from where you sit? Uh, it feels like it. Yes, very different from Japan because in Japan it doesn't feel like a recession from what what I see there. I mean, the labour market is pretty strong. The business surveys like the Tankan um, are all pointing upwards, okay. whereas in the UK it definitely does feel quite uh, quite gloomy. You know, the, the people have been hit really hard by inflation here, which I think. Um, um, you know, there's been a much bigger problem than in continental Europe and the and the US. So there's been a real cost of living crisis here, which uh, have affected um, you know people quite uh, quite badly. And I understand an election might be happening there. Oh, I think there will be. Yes, yes, they're calling it Sunak's recession, Rishi, Rishi's recession. There, they're calling it ahead of the uh, ahead of the recession. Although I have to election. Although I have to say, this is going to be a very, very mild recession. It was like only down 0.1 percent uh, in the last quarter. So if it is a recession, it's a, a very, very mild one as as uh, as recessions go. But nevertheless, uh, a recession's a recession, I suppose, isn't it? Well, very as interesting. I you know, Sorry, John. As I understand, it's very skewed um, from, from what I hear. Uh, I haven't been been over myself for, for, for a little while, but um, London apparently is, is, as always, London is booming, but the rest of the country is is having a that's you know having a bad time. That's been the case ever since I was a boy in the UK. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The the north south divide it won't go away. No, uh, there's no leveling up. Yep. Well, a fascinating discussion. Thank you all very much indeed. Great to hear your thoughts this morning. You heard there John Schofield, who is managing director at Tempest Investment. Mark Michelson, who's chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and as always on a Tuesday morning. Morning, our U.S. economics correspondent over in Washington D.C., Barry Wood. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you for listening this morning. I'll be back tomorrow with more business and finance headlines to discuss them. I'll be joined by Enzio von Fahl, as always on a Wednesday morning. Capital preservation specialist at Financial Shield and Hong Kong-based macro strategist Patrick Bennett. With a view from Japan is Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. Money. Talk. Talk.